Hello, here we are at the last Hear Her Sports episode of 2021. I am your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery. This episode is perfect as the year's wrap up and as the way to begin a brand new year. Because my guest, Nikita Griffey, starts off by saying anyone can accomplish their goals. She expands on that and means, well, mostly you can do it. Your body can do it. Get out and go after your goal. Start somewhere, even somewhere small. I'm all in on that. It's an idea near and dear to me, but often gets lost when I'm talking to the elite level athletes that I do. Not everyone will be an elite athlete, and that doesn't matter at all. I love Nikita's message, and I'm grateful to end this year with it. The conversation begins with Nikita explaining how she is an average runner with above average goals, and continues on to how she ended up running a 100-mile trail race this fall. This is the first time I've heard the real dirty details of running 100 miles from a normal everyday runner. I loved hearing about the training, her coach, her poor feet, and what she calls the aftermath. For Nikita, the running community, the people she trains with and meets at races is super important. She tells the story of discovering the running group Black Girls Run and how it opened up a whole new world of connection for her. Nikita details how important representation is. I won't give away any of her beautiful, important words, but it's well worth the listen. And finally, as you know, nutrition is on my mind these days, so of course I asked about that. Nikita has some positive words to offer us and to young girls out there. I'm excited to introduce Nikita, so let's get to it. Nikita Griffey is a resident of Akron, Ohio. She started running in high school as a way to socialize and continued cross-country and track in college for gym credit and to stay in shape. Nikita returned to running in 2007 when a co-worker invited her to participate on a marathon relay team. From there, she went on to challenge herself to participate in one event each month, usually between 5K and 10K distance. A year later, she ran her first half marathon and then her first marathon a few weeks later. Prior to the COVID pandemic, she had been training for her dream race, the Selma to Montgomery Relay, where she would run the route civil rights leaders traveled on foot for voting rights. Unfortunately, the race was canceled the week before it was to take place in March 2020. Nikita and her amazing coach went ahead and ran the race virtually. Following this accomplishment, her coach encouraged her to register and train for Indiana Trail 100 Endurance Race. After eight months of training, Nikita earned her 100-mile buckle in October 2021. Nikita now runs for stress relief as much as fitness and prides herself in being an average runner with above-average goals. Her mantra is, you can do hard things. She has plans to participate in the Selma to Montgomery race in person in 2022 and has future aspirations to complete a half marathon in all 50 states. She is a proud member of several running clubs, the most influential being Black Girls Run, Black Runners Connection, National Black Marathon Association, and she runs this town. Well, welcome, Nikita. You know, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me here. Sure. Now, your bio says that you are an average runner with above average goals. Can you talk about that a little bit more? What does that mean to you? I am not the fastest. I am not the best. I am a mid-pack runner. Like if you're familiar with runners, there's, you know, there's the elites and the fast people up front. And then there's kind of the people that bring up the rear. And I'm always too slow for the fast people, too fast and kind of hanging out by myself in the middle. And I just strongly believe that anybody can accomplish whatever goals they have running wise. Like it's limitless. You know, I'm not 
in the best shape. My diet is terrible, though I'm working on it. You know, I can't obviously train professionally, but I can follow a plan and stick to it. One of the things I always say all the time is I, I just don't have a quit button. That's awesome. So let's sort of in that same theme of being an average runner with above average goals. I want to talk about your history of running, like how you got started. You mentioned that you started running in high school. How did that happen? <sighs> yeah. So I actually started and I believe it was like 11th grade. And I went to an all black high school called Shaw High School in East Cleveland, Ohio. And they brought back our girls cross country team I believe our junior year and my friend who's a sprinter was like let's run and I said okay and that was my first time ever running. We practiced running up and down the hallways in our school. We had to beg one of the girls to run so that we could have a full team. I think we needed six people and we were always the slowest, the last people on the course and, you know, it was more of a, you know, an opportunity for us to hang out and travel to different schools and stuff than us really being serious about running. And when I graduated and went to college, you need gym credit, which I thought was crazy in college. And so they want you to pay for a gym class. And I just said, well, you know, I've run before. So I joined the cross country team and the track team. And Again, it was, you know, an opportunity to travel and have fun in college. They actually paid for our shoes and gave us warm-ups and practice gear and stuff like that. But it was really just, you know, you need the credit, so do something. And all the perks that came with it made it more appetizing. And then, you know, moving over to track, you know, a lot of my friends were on the track team. So that just was a natural segue. But I think that my high school and college track coaches would be quite amused to find out that I'm running more than the three miles that were required for cross country back then. Yeah. Who were your coaches back in high school? My coach in high school, he was the shop teacher and we called him Coach Williams. And it's so funny because I don't know that he was you know, had a whole lot of experience coaching cross country and definitely not girls. And he didn't quite know how to manage us. I remember that he used to um, like we'd be going to meets and stuff after school and we'd be hungry and he'd give us his lunch. So we'd split whatever his wife had packed um, for him for lunch and, you know, kind of just go there. But we were, you know, young black girls running, you know, in different places. And if it was raining, we didn't want to run. We didn't want to get our hair wet. If it was cold, we didn't want to run. Um, so he did a lot of pleading, prodding, begging and bribing us sometimes to get out there and you know, when I think about my college coach, Coach Harris is the one that sticks out the most. I had different cross-country coaches, but Coach Harris was the track coach, and he called the distance runners ducks, and I really had no idea what that meant. I think it has something to do with the Oregon ducks, but I'm not sure. But I was, you know, kind of a unicorn there because I was the only black distance person. All my friends were sprinters because typically, or I don't know if it's a stereotype or what, but, you know, my friends were all short distance runners and he was making me run the longer distances. And I was, again, too slow to sprint, but I could run forever. I always find coaches so interesting. I mean, there must be something about those two coaches or those experiences in high school and college that really stuck with you in some way because you have continued to run. 
Yeah, well, it's just, it's more of an admiration. Like I look back and I didn't appreciate them or the experience back then. And it's um, one of those like, you know, I hope I'm making you proud kind of moments. Coach Harris was, you know, I think we gave him the blues a lot. Um, He used to actually call me cover girl because, again, I, you know, if it was raining or something like that, I didn't want to get my hair wet, you know, so I would whine and complain. I mean, I would eventually do it, but they were fatherly figures as much as coaches for a lot of us girls. And looking back, I hope I am making them proud. In 11th grade, when you decided to join the high school cross-country team, the friend said, why don't we do it? And you said, yes. But do you remember, you know, like why you said yes and what the impetus was? And had you been doing any kind of athletic type activity prior? No, um, <laughs> no, I was not an athletic person growing up. Now I say that, but my mom had us signed up. We played softball every single summer growing up. I wasn't great, but I was good enough to be on the team. Um, I actually grew up overseas in Germany. We were a military family. So I moved to the States right at the end of my ninth grade year. And our high school softball team, because I'd been playing for years, they let me on the team, but it was fast pitch. And I never played fast pitch before, and I was terrible. So after those couple of weeks, I stopped playing softball. I tried basketball because the gym teacher's like, you're really tall. We could use you on our basketball team. I was terrible. I was so terrible at basketball that in my sophomore year, they had me playing on the freshman team because I was new to the school and nobody knew who I was so they could get away with it. And they needed the numbers. I just was never someone that's good with like the hand-eye coordination. So when it came to running, number one, my friend was doing it. And, you know, it doesn't really require a whole lot of coordination or skill. You just need to be able to put one foot in front of the other. And I found out running up and down the hallways of my high school that I have a lot of endurance. Again, I wasn't the fastest to start, but I could literally run for the entire hour or so of practice. And it shocked me and it shocked, I'm I'm sure it surprised my coach as well. But yeah, that was pretty much the gist of my athletic raising. Yeah, I love that. Again, in your bio, you said that you restarted in 2007. What happened between college and 2007? Between college and 2007, I tried to stay active. Like I've always been kind of a high energy person. I was a member of gym, so I loved step aerobics. I loved spinning class, those sorts of things. But I had a coworker who was always running and... I remember her talking about running, I think it was a 50K race. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is, like how many miles that is. But it just seemed like a lot. And I didn't get it. I didn't get the attraction to it. And, you know, she talked to myself and some other coworkers about the Akron Roadrunner Marathon, which is in the city, like our big race in the city. And she said there was the opportunity to participate as a relay team. And she really hyped up how fun it would be to run as coworkers. And so uh, my good friend and I both said we would do it, but we were taking the shorter legs because at the time it was two 10K legs, two 5K legs, and then one leg that was a little over seven miles to make up the balance. And I said, the only way I would agree to do it is if I could run one of the shortest legs. Being 
at that race, going to a race expo for the first time and seeing all the excitement, you know, all the fanfare that comes with those big races. I was just, um, it was just so exciting and I was energized and I was ready to go. Now, I was terrified the day of the race because if you've ever done a relay race, that's high anxiety, especially if you're not the first runner. You know, there's just tons of people everywhere. You're trying to make sure you're at the right location, that you can find your person, that, you know, you know, any any number of things can go wrong between the time you get dropped off at your relay spot and the time you run. And it was just, like I said, one of the most exhilarating experiences and getting my medal, my first medal, I was hooked. Yeah, tell me more about why you like doing the events and the competitions. Because again, you said you're middle of the pack, so you, you know, I assume you're not thinking that you're gonna win the race. So what's the attraction? Why do you keep on doing the events? Well, two things. Number one, running has become just such a huge stress relief for me. What I found in running is it's one of the things that I do for myself. By profession, I'm a social worker, so I'm always thinking about other people, always considering other people. Even in my personal life, it's always prioritizing other people first. And running was the one thing I could do for myself, by myself. I have met so many amazing people and friends running. I was at a training one day for work. Um, We have continuing education classes for social workers. And one of my friends from another county mentioned to me this run group, Black Girls Run. And I was like, what? There's a group for black runners? Because prior to this, I'd been usually one of or the only black face at races. And when I found out that there were a whole community of women that looked like me that were running, some of them running just for leisure, some running with goals of, you know, running different races. I mean, it just opened up a whole new world of support and community and connection. And literally some of my best friends I've made through running. I'm glad you mentioned your running groups because I want to talk about what you get from those running groups a little bit more. And if you could talk about representation, I mean, I personally think that representation is hugely important but I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, it's so important. And unless you're in an underrepresented group, you don't really always, you can't always appreciate what it means to walk into a sea of people and see someone that looks like you. Like I've been to so many races. I did a 5K this past weekend and you know, it's, it's just instinctual. You span the crowd. I found one other black face in all of the runners there. So when I walk into spaces with Black Girls Run, with Black Runners Connection, with the National Black Marathoners Association, and see a whole sea of people that look like me, that have similar goals to me, that get me, you know, they get my experiences as a runner and then my experiences as a person. It's huge. There's been so much going on the last several years. You know, what I said in my bio is my goal race at one point was a Selma to Montgomery relay. And that was scheduled to take place in March of 2020. But leading up to March of 2020, there was a really messy election and a lot of craziness going on with our country and our leadership. And then, you know, through 2020 and everything that happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, I can't talk about those experiences everywhere and in all of my group affiliations. But 
there's a safety in BRC and BGR and in BMA that allows for us to have those dialogues. Last week with the verdict with Ahmad Arbery, that was huge. You know, so many people take for granted that you can just run in your neighborhood, you know, go out the door, run in your neighborhood, get your exercise in and return home without thinking about it. What happened to Ahmad Arbery caused all of us to pause and think, you know, we have to rethink our safety. I run with a wonderful group of ladies locally um, from She Runs This Town. Not a diverse group at all. And I really struggled during the pandemic. Like I just, you know, when trucks go by or things like that, there's things that cause me to jump and pause that, you know, they don't even think of. So, um, yeah, representation, having people around you to support you, uplift you, to give you the opportunity to debrief, say something or say nothing has been huge, especially these last several years. Wow. Thank you for that. That was that was really terrific. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that if you're not in a minority group, you don't realize how important representation is. It took me a long time to realize why men didn't understand why I kept talking about representation. Yeah. 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 And it's hard because, you know, like I love to wear my run group merchandise to different races. So, you know, the first group I was in was Black Girls Run and I would wear my singlet proud to the start line. And I can't tell you how many comments about, well, white guys run too, or white girls run too. You know, it just completely tone deaf and awkward and just weird. And I, yeah, so that happens a lot. So it's nice. Like last weekend when I did the 5K, I wore my Black Runners Connection shirt. And on the back of it, it has uh, the website, or I think it has our hashtag. It's Black Runners. And um, there was a woman, a Black woman spectator, and she pulled me over at the end. And she's like, where'd you get your shirt? And she's asking me about the group. And she's talking about how she works with young Black children and was trying to get them involved in sports and activities and wanted to know if there were groups available for them. And so I gave her the information because, you know, one of the great things about these groups is that they are national. So they are all over the country and in places where we don't have them, there are opportunities to get them started. So I think that it's important to see people that look like you so that you feel like you have a place, that you have a space and a right to be present somewhere. You mentioned that these groups are national. How often are you meeting in person with other people from your groups? So, for instance, Black Girls Run has a local chapter in Cleveland, which is about 45 minutes from me. And I used to live up north until three years ago when I relocated here. So Black Girls Run has opportunities for several times a week where they have group meetups for runs. Some of the other groups tend to rendezvous at races. So both Black Runners Connection and National Black Marathoners Association will target specific races where the host meetups. There's a half marathon in Atlanta that is every October. It's called the race. The race directors are black. When we have the expo, a majority, if not all of the vendors are black and it attracts black runners. And that is a space where, you know, our leader for Black Runners Connection calls us cousins, where all the cousins can gather and reconnect and then run a race together. And there's usually some sort of meet and greet activity associated with that. 
Um, National Black Marathoners hosts, gosh, they host a forum every year at a different race. And so the last time they had one, well, the last one was scheduled to be at the Flying Pig in Cincinnati, but because of COVID, it had to be rescheduled. But that would be an opportunity where they'd host a banquet. Um, One of the things I love about that group is that they have a Black Runners Hall of Fame where they're constantly inducting different members who have accomplished running goals over the course of the past year or so. The first time I went, I was just in awe of some of the accomplishments. Like there were so many people that had run marathons on all the continents or completed um, marathons or half marathons in all 50 states. So there are so many opportunities to see greatness and to see greatness accomplished by someone that looks like you. And again, it just makes it more tangible and look more attainable. Well, speaking of big goals, let's talk about your 100 miler. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to say that I I just get sort of speechless when I think of running 100 miles. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) I had zero intentions of running 100 miles. I have volunteered at races for 100 milers, and I have been just completely in awe and start like it is the most grueling thing to watch. I have been, like I said, just left speechless by what I've seen runners accomplish or seen, you know, runners go through in a quest to reach 100 miles during the course of a race. During COVID, we couldn't do a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot of gathering. I'm divorced, I don't have any kids at home. I'm you know, sitting at home alone and you know, we had trained for Selma and done it virtually. And I was wanting to continue to utilize my training. And my coach who has run several 100 mile races and longer said, I think you can do 100. I told her I thought she was crazy, (laughs) but she insisted. And I'm so glad she did. Like she, I keep saying she, her name is Crystal. She pushes me out of my comfort zone. Like it's not even a push, it's a shove, but in such a great way. Like she wrote out a training program and I just had so much trust for her because like I said, she's done this before. She's done like 15, I think. And she's also done a 200 mile race. So she knows what she's talking about. And I just followed the program to a T. My other fear is that, like I said before, I'm not a trail runner because I'm clumsy. I don't like bugs. I don't like snakes. I don't like mud, but she picked the perfect race for me in that Indiana is a trail, but it's not technical. It's very runnable. It has some inclines, but there was nothing too crazy about it. We actually, prior to running my race in October, had taken a trip there in the summertime just to have a preview of the trail, and that helped me a lot. Of course, in the summer, it was hot. The trail was dry. Um, We did one of the loops, and we finished by running into the lake to cool off. Come October, um, it had been raining that entire week leading up to the race. And so there was standing water in places on the trail. It was muddy. I was scared, (laughs) not going to lie. I was absolutely terrified going into the race. One of the things that I can say, though, is because of the training program that she had written for me, 
I had no doubt in my mind that I could physically do it. I just wasn't sure if mentally I was tough enough to endure for a hundred miles. Like I, I think I know that a lot of times my biggest hangup is me. I get in my own way. I get in my head. I had like this imposter syndrome. Like, who do you think you are? <laughs> People train, you know, for hundred mile races and fail, you know, many times before they complete. And I just thought, we're going to give it a go. This is it. And we'll see what happens. The Indiana Trail race gives you 30 hours to complete 100 miles. And what I said to my coach before we started, and even during the race, as I was getting tired and we were having issues, is no matter what, I want to run for 30 hours. So I'm hoping and praying that we get this finished. But if we don't, I'm running the entire 30 hours. Wow, I have so many questions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with your coach, Uh, Crystal. How did you find her? When did you start working with her? And, you know, like what, what drew you to having a coach? I personally love having a coach, but that's not true for everybody. Yeah. And I feel like it doesn't do justice to call her my coach. So I met Crystal probably six, seven years ago at my first endurance race. Um, We did a race. It was called 024. It's a 24-hour race. It's a one-mile loop, and you have 24 hours to run as many loops as you can. I entered that race with two friends, um, Marilyn and Shatora, and we were going to run... What were we going to run? We were going to run 50K, and we were going to be done (laughs) at 50K. We ran our 50K. The The great thing about 024 is there's an aid station every mile because you know it's a one mile loop and we treated that aid station like it was a buffet we're stopping chatting eating and then we would take off and do another lap we got our 50k done in eight hours and we said hmm we have 16 hours left actually Shatora said we had 16 hours left why don't we just do another one it was the (laughs) worst decision but the best decision ever you know, we had gone from kind of party in the trail to this slow, silent death march, but we ended up completing 100K. While we're doing our 100K, there's this woman with this bouncy, like, I can't even describe her hair, but what you, the first thing you notice about Crystal is her smile and then her hair, but she's got this great bouncy hair and she's just running in circles with a smile, waving and smiling to everybody, every loop. Crystal ran that race. She ran. We finished our 100K and slept in our cars until the morning (laughs) to wait for the awards ceremony. Crystal had been running the entire night. She ended up running over 100 miles and winning the race. But that's how I met her, just randomly at a race, and she was there. And through the years, you know, I'd see her at different races. We'd always talk, and um, we just became friends that way through running. But Crystal was always the one kind of leading the pack. And again, all of the race pictures that you see of her, not at Indiana because she had her hair in pigtails, I think, but it's just her hair is flowing and you just see a big smile. She's just a great person. She, with all of her knowledge and expertise, she took coaches training just so that she could better her own running and agreed to take me on as, you know, she calls me her athlete. But yeah, so she's just a friend that 
has been great at pushing me and challenging me and coming up with some crazy workouts that, you know, got me to 100 miles. One of the craziest workouts <laughs> that we had, I call it Billy Goat Training, but we did hill repeats. Um, the first time we did it for three hours, the second time for five hours, where we are hiking up a hill and jogging back down just over and over again. And it was miserable. <laughs> but <laughs> when I was on my fourth of four 25-mile loops at Indiana Trail, it just came to me. I said, this is it. This is that billy goat training. It's just this fast hike. You just got to keep moving forward. And I mean, it, it fit. Like It made no sense to me when I was doing it as a training run. But the minute I saw that last, you know, we were on that last loop and those last eight miles, I'm like, this is Billy Goat training. Let's go. You've done this before. You've been here. You can do it. You know what it feels like. Let's go. How are you on downhills? Um, so downhills are a little sketchy for me. <laughs> um, and I say that because one of my other reasons that I avoid trail riding is because I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> there can be some pretty steep downhills and in Indiana Trail specifically, I had to get over my fear because what was happening is the mud was causing me to slide down the hills and there wasn't always a tree or something to catch on to. So I would just have to kind of, you just do a trust run. And I am very proud to report that despite all the falls and mishaps that I've had in other races and in all my trainings, I did not fall not one time during Indiana Trail. And that is a miracle. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, because I, I took a nasty fall probably a month before trying to do a 50K, and I actually DNF'd that race after the first. I fell two miles in, and then I fell on my way to, like, our turnaround point, and, like, I am still growing back the skin on my knees. It's just, it was bad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm really impressed that you went out and checked out the course for the Indiana race. I mean, that's not a small undertaking. Oh, my gosh. Prep that is was... so important. Yeah, well, and again, that was, that's the beauty of having somebody like Crystal. Like, she's just, like, she knew that would make a difference. Like, being able to see your course, like, you don't usually have that opportunity, but thankfully, Indiana's close enough. Like, it was just a weekend kind of drive where we were able to do it because that did so much in terms of calming my nerves. Like, you know, had I shown up the day of the race or the day before when we went to packet pickup, you know, as my first time seeing it, I would have been even more nervous than I was on the day of. Do you do prep like that for other races? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, because, well, part of the thing is when I run locally, I'm running a lot of the same races over and over again. Like in Akron, the big race is the Akron Roadrunner and the Akron Race Series. All you need to know about Akron is that no matter what, there's going to be hills. You know, they might switch it up and the hills might be in the middle. The hills might be at the front. The hills might be at the back, but it's going to be hilly. So I don't find, you know, that particularly helpful in terms of plotting. And then unfortunately for some of the other races I've done, you know, it's a flight away or something where you just don't have the opportunity to preview the course. Right, right. What kind of non-running training are you doing? Or what kind of non-running training did you do for the 100 miles? Well, that is where I struggle. <laughs> um, I had six days of running and then a day of active rest. So I did, you know, some cycling. And I use the term cycling. It's probably not even, like, fair to say it was cycling. I rode my stationary bike for, like, half an hour. I really expanded 
my recovery stuff. So I also struggle with yoga, but I know the benefits of it. So I made it a point to do yoga once a week. I was in a great routine of foam rolling and stretching um, almost every day during the course of my training. And then for me, because again, I overthink everything. I'm a writer, so I have to write stuff down. I journal a lot and that helps me to kind of just calm my nerves and think ahead. What kind of stuff are you writing down? Oh, anything. <laughs> like I write about what happened at work, how my training went, just anything that might weigh me down. You know, writing about what's, you know, writing about what you can't talk about sometimes. So writing about what was going on with the election or what was going on with different things happening in the news and social justice and yeah. Heavy. So a little bit of everything really. So no, no weightlifting. Yeah. So I am that runner. Like I said, I am that average runner. So I don't do the, all the good stuff that I'm supposed to do. I tried some weightlifting, but I just wasn't consistent. So I would, I will say no, I didn't do weightlifting. There was a challenge with one of my groups to do like a hundred pushups a day. And I did it for the length of the challenge. And then I dropped down to 50. So I was doing 50 pushups, 50 sit-ups and 50 squats a day. But that was pretty much the extent of my strength training, which is pretty pitiful. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> but you must have good, uh, I don't know what to call it, but good running legs or running body because you know you're able to run six days a week yeah so like i said i really invested in the recovery aspect of it because i've been there i've had injuries off and on for years this is my longest stretch of being healthy in a while so i was i was gone for like 18 months around 2018 i had plantar fasciitis in both feet. I had tendonitis and it was bad. So I know what to do. And I work with a physical therapist. I know what to do to avoid injury, which most runners do. And that's the stretching and the foam rolling and the stuff that we tend to neglect. But I was very deliberate about incorporating that into my routine on an almost daily basis. I swear by Epsom salt baths after my long runs um, I made it a point to get more sleep because I'm terrible at that. So I was going to bed earlier and making sure that I got better rest. Again, my diet's not the best, but I was focusing on my hydration and water intake, you know, and just like a lot of people focusing on staying healthy during the pandemic. And I had been since the start of the pandemic, you know, increasing my vitamins and, and that sort of thing. But yeah. What are your tactics for fitting in all of the workouts and, you know, everything else that goes into training for something like this? And as you said, you're working full time and, you know, all of that. Yeah, I didn't really have any tactics other than I needed to get it done. And there were days where I was up at 3.30, 4 o'clock wow. running. And again, going back to my mind, it was if you do this, then you should be able to obtain this. If you don't do it, then you can't <laughs> expect to reach your goal. I turned down dinner invitations. Um, I was the spoil sport. I, I needed to go to bed. Like on Fridays, I was in bed by eight sometimes because I needed to get up in enough time to run, you know, 20, 30 miles the next day. 
maybe the pandemic isolation helped. Oh, no, it definitely did. You know, like I said, I am in a unique situation where, you know, I'm single. I don't have anyone depending on me. I make my own schedule. So I was able to fit these runs. And I don't, you know, I'm in awe of ultra runners that have children and families and all of that. I mean, yeah, working and doing this has been hard. And I joke sometimes that, you know, working interferes with my social life. <laughs> but, you know, you got to be able to buy these shoes and the gear and the race registrations and all that stuff. So, yeah, I just um, sleep was the big thing. It was, you know, you just got to go to bed. <laughs> Describe a little bit more about what it's actually like to be running for as long as you were, you know, 29 plus hours to do yeah. 100 miles. Well, I bet it sounds great in the beginning. And then, you know, you get halfway, you still have a lot more to go. Yeah. So honestly, the first 75 miles were great. The first two loops, there were so many runners there. And it was just so cool because it was absolutely pitch dark. And all you see is headlights. And because the trail was so narrow that it was like, just a bunch of fireflies in the woods and it was just a beautiful sight and there were aid stations at different intervals and they just had full-on parties like you could hear the music before you got there they just kept it lively there were three of us so our friend candy was there and she ran the 50 mile and we just kept in step with the other runners and you know that's your time of hey where are you from kind of just meeting random people out on the trail and it started to get dark the third loop and it was just me and crystal and i just had such a good time talking to crystal and you know you just exchange like do you have deep thoughts when you're just wandering in the woods in the middle of the night and we just talked about everything like our families our childhood um everything the last lap when we left the 70 mile 75 aid station that was the absolute hardest when we got to the aid station we were you know exhausted obviously but our feet because of the rain that had happened there was standing water in different places on the course so there was no avoiding blisters and i just couldn't feel my feet um, at mile 75. I mean, I could feel that they hurt, but I just, yeah, it was just, it was just the weirdest sensation. And there was an amazing volunteer at that aid station who changed my socks and taped my feet up and Crystal was, you know, kind of tending to her wounds. And we shuffled out of that mile 75 aid station. I think that was the first time where I was thinking this might not happen. I spent probably the first five minutes, I asked Crystal because she's she was doing a great job of checking in on me and how you doing and trying to just keep me talking. And I asked for silence to pray for the first five minutes because it was just really that dig deep, remember why you're here, all you've accomplished along the way, all those people that are rooting for you. It was pulling all of that together into that last loop. And it was dark and you know we were tired and I remember a couple of times Crystal would be like oh I fell asleep I fell asleep I just don't know how we shuffled through I just I just remember praying for the sun to come up somehow when that sun peaked we just got this boost of energy and I just don't know where it came from because again we're 80 some miles in at that point but it was just you know, the end is in sight, the end is in sight. And we just shuffled through. 
after a while, Crystal had started to run again. (laughs) And I didn't want to run. I didn't feel like running. But I felt the need to push forward. And, you know, we started to see once the sun came up, you could see the other runners because it had the field had thinned out a lot because runners had dropped, runners had finished, the 50 mile people were long gone. Um, But you started to see people in pairs or in bunches. And it was just, you know, an awesome, it was kind of like a teamwork thing. Like you would pass some people and just give them some encouragement and they would keep up with you for a little bit. And, you know, you'd come into another group of people and, and the same thing. And everybody was just so encouraging. And we knew we were so close. Even, you know, the aid station volunteers, I think some of them must have been there the entire time. But so encouraging, telling you how many miles you had left. And I think when we had three hours left, I had, there were like eight miles or something. And, you know, eight miles typically is an hour and a half, maybe, (laughs) tops. But it was just, it just seemed so far away. (laughs) Yeah, Crystal was just, we got to go now, we got to go now. And, um one of the big things about endurance races is eating and I love to eat. (laughs) I did not love to eat during the endurance race and, you know, and she's shoving, grab a pancake, eat a bar, eat this, eat that. Um, Because you're literally running the gas out of your tank and you just got to keep replenishing and you just got to keep going. What's it like running without sleep for that long? I have no idea. Like, I said this, at some point, your heart overrides your body. Like your, your, your heart's like, I got this, just go with me. <laughs> because like I said, I typically go to bed by 9, 9.30. And some of my friends that, you know, had been rooting for me were like, did you sleep along the way? I'm like, no, you just keep going. Yeah, the adrenaline takes over and, you know, you just go. That just seems impossible. But yeah, well, obviously it, not. But it's, it's, no, because, well, but the minute we got to the finish line and sat down, like everything like reconnects and, you know, you start to feel pain again and you start to feel hunger and fatigue. And I just, yeah, like we were definitely wiped out for a couple of days after that. And did you rely on, on the aid stations for all your food or did you pack anything? Did you have bags there of your stuff? Yeah. So we did have bag drops or drop bags, what they're called. And there were two locations on the course where you could access them. The aid stations had everything, though. The things that I needed in my drop bag that the aid station didn't have was my caffeine. So I am a coconut berry Red Bull person. I don't drink coffee. And so I was cracking open my coconut berry Red Bull. You know, the beauty of the aid stations is that they had real food. So they had pancakes and burgers and rice cakes. And, like, I... No lie, I had soup at every aid station. After a while, that's all I could eat was chicken noodle soup. And I said in my race recap, I probably consumed a Costco-sized can of chicken noodle soup by myself. Like I just was... (laughs) The volunteers at the aid stations were incredible. It's like a lot of them were ultra runners, so they knew what you needed. So you'd like, would you like some chicken noodle soup? Yes, and while you're not looking, they dump a bunch of salt in it because they know you need salt. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it was just, you just kept consuming things. At one of the aid stations, (laughs) I needed to change socks. And it was like 
these two guys, it was like a NASCAR pit crew, like grabbing my feet and just like they just did it so fast. And they push you out of the aid station like they know how critical it is to keep moving. Like you can't sit down and get comfortable in an aid station. You got to keep going. But yeah, we had everything that we needed by the aid stations, you know, little things that I had were maybe bars and and things like that. But no, they were perfectly stocked. Awesome. And were you eating anything out on the trail during between aid stations? You oh, yeah. Have, you, yeah. You take it to go. Like I had <laughs> at one point I had pancakes rolled up in my pocket. <laughs> and I think that, that was the only time Crystal um, got frustrated with me because she's like, did you eat? And I'm like, I just had something. And she's like, you need to eat a pancake. Like you really just have to keep eating continuously. I was having a hard time swallowing at one point. I remember I picked up a burger and I thought I was chewing on it. It had to be for like 20 minutes and I just couldn't swallow. I was drinking all this water. I just could not get that thing to go down my throat. And what about the days, weeks, I don't know, months afterwards? You know, how did you feel? How did you recover? What were you doing? Yeah, so I was not prepared. I called it the aftermath. I <laughs> it was so bad. My feet were balloons on the bottom. Like once I took my shoes off, they swole and I had blisters, but the blisters were underneath calluses. So our dear friend Candy was trying to pop my blisters because apparently when you pop blisters, it gives you like instant relief. I've never had blisters like that before, so I had no idea. But my skin was so tough with the calluses that she just couldn't even like get anything through it. So we drove home the day that we finished the race. Like we were going to spend the night there and we just... I think it was probably more me. I like, I just want to go home. I just want to sleep in my own bed. Um, But we drove home that day. And that night, I remember, again, I live alone. And (laughs) once we had dropped my car off, I had a 45-minute drive home. And I remember sitting in my garage, like, just, like, my feet were just, (laughs) they just hurt so bad. And I live in a two-story house. And I had to sit on the steps and just, like, I toss my bag in front of me and pull myself up the steps. It was just awful. And the Monday after I was in my insurance like booklet trying to find a podiatrist. And I I got into somebody at 4 p.m. that Monday and he, oh my gosh, he was hysterical, but he's just like, what in the world did you do? Um, Yeah, I had blisters like, underneath my big toenail there was a blister so he like hacked my toenail off and drained a blister it looked ugly and it hurt when he did it but gosh the relief was almost instantaneous he was able to drain um, a lot of the blisters but he packed me up oh I can't forget that he you know when I wasn't looking you know when he wasn't making me laugh he doused my feet in alcohol after he had opened all these blisters up and I was just like Like each foot had a heartbeat after that. (laughs) And he wrapped me up and sent me on my way with these little, he called them sympathy shoes, but they're like big old strappy black (laughs) sandals that are open because it's, I I literally couldn't fit any shoes for another week. It took me a month to be able to run again because I had a lot of, um, he calls it nerve damage. So a lot of numbness and tingling in my toes. It took probably two weeks for the swelling to go down still have a little bit of residual numbness in a couple of my toes. And he said that can take up to a year to go away. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, though, I've 
been back running for a little bit over a month now and I'm not in pain when I run. Like I said, I just, I have random tingling in my toes, but yeah. Um, yeah, the aftermath was real and very unexpected. And, you know, I definitely recommend that if you are doing a hundred mile race, you make provisions to have someone stay with you, assist you after, because that was bananas. (laughs) So are you going to do another one? No. (laughs) (laughs) I say that and, you know, you never know what would happen, but right now I have no plans to do it. It was nothing about the experience because like I said, the experience was great. I just feel like um, like you said earlier, it was just optimal timing. Like I had the time to put all those hours in of training. I hope not to be, you know, cooped up alone like that again, where I just have hours upon hours to spend running. Yeah, I would absolutely love, and I know that I will continue to volunteer and support others that are attempting the 100 mile distance. I want to continue to do endurance races. Like I said, I'm doing Selma in person next year. So I do love running the longer distances, but 100 miles is a huge undertaking, and I don't see it in my future immediately anytime soon. <laughs> so you'll run the full distance at Selma? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So Selma is the 51 miles, and I will run that full distance. They have options for... I think you can have up to seven people on a relay team, maybe. I'm not quite sure what the maximum is, but you can, they have cyclists that do it. But yeah, my goal is to run the 51 miles by myself. That's awesome. You've mentioned a couple of times that nutrition isn't your thing. So (laughs) (laughs) tell me more about that. Well, I am just one of those eat what you want to (laughs) eat. I, yeah. I eat what I want to eat. Um, Thankfully, during pandemic, I've been running, so I've lost weight versus gaining weight. I don't deny myself foods. I eat less of them, so maybe I'll have half a pizza instead of the whole pizza. I'm not on any specialized diet or anything like that, and I, you know, I struggle with some of the fads and limiting foods and all that stuff, and I was a skinny girl growing up, and then I've been heavy, and now I'm kind of average size, and I'm just very sensitive to the messages that we give young girls about how they should look. I feel like a lot of how people look is biology. Yes, you can lose weight, gain weight, but I have young, (laughs) impressionable girls in my life, and I don't want to communicate to anyone that, you know, that they shouldn't enjoy what they're eating or that they're too big or too small or anything like that. So I just kind of stay away from diets and all that. Is there anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about before we sign off? I don't think so. Sorry, I feel like I kind of rambled on here. Oh, it was fantastic. I wasn't sure what to expect. But no, I just appreciate the opportunity. And I can't say enough how important it is for people to you know, just take those risks and start somewhere. Like everybody has a goal, you know, maybe you don't have a goal 
to run 100 miles, maybe your goal is to run a 5K. It's just as important. It's just as significant. I think that sometimes we tend to make ourselves small in the shadow of other people's accomplishments and other people's aspirations and goals. But it's just important, I think, to realize what it is that you want to do and put it out there in the universe and just work towards it. I strongly believe that one of the things I tell myself when I'm running is your body can do anything your mind will allow it to do. So put it out there in the universe, um, write it down, tell a friend. I have had the most amazing, amazing support system going into this. Like people I don't even know were cheering and rooting me on. I will say one of the things about Channel Lake State Park, which is where the race was, absolutely zero cell service. So I had no communication with anybody the entire time I was there, but there was a race tracker app. And when we got to the little town after the race to eat and I could pull it up, I had over 200 comments um, on there were people just encouraging me while I was running and you know my sister led a campaign on Facebook and you know I just just different friends were posting and just encouraging and supporting I'm one of those people that when I post on social media it's mostly about my daily workouts and stuff but people followed my journey up to the hundred and then just encouraged me along the way and I think it helped me to be accountable But, you know, it also just gave me strength and energy when I needed it during there. So if there's something that you want to do, write it down, put it out there and find your people and go for it. That's awesome. One of the things that struck me reading your bio and talking to you is, you know, how you just jump into things and, you know, say yes, basically. Yeah, I... (laughs) Sometimes spontaneous, sometimes impulsive. I, it's just, but yeah, I mean, I am truly willing to try anything. I love to challenge myself. I've had so many challenges emotionally that when I can push my body to do things, it just, it takes me to a whole nother level. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Thank you so much for, again, the opportunity. I, yeah, I, I truly am flattered and, you know, honored to have been a part of this. That's it for this week's show and also for this year. As always, it is great to bring you more stories from a fantastic female athlete. What they share is for athletes and non-athletes alike, so spread the word. Thanks to both my friends Linda and her running partner Maria, who introduced me to Nikita. The three of us are local, so it will be fun to race with them sometime in the spring. We'd love for you to support the podcast through Patreon at patreon.com slash hearhersports or with a one-time donation at hearhersports.com. We always have great shows coming up, so make sure to subscribe for free to Hear Her Sports on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a single thing. Until next time, Happy New Year. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. 
Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.